Good morning. We would invite you to come on in and get a seat uh, as we begin our worship service this morning. If you are visiting with us, uh, you're our honored guest. If you're joining us on social media, we welcome you as well. Happy Father's Day. What this uh, world needs is more Christian dads. We're glad to have you here with us today. There is a friendship register on each pew. We'd like to get a record of everyone's attendance. We'd like for you to sign in and pass that down the row so we can get a record of everyone who is here. There is a SALT team display in the lobby. Effective July the 1st, we, will, we have rearranged our SALT teams, and we'd encourage you to go by, and there's a big uh, a roster out there of everyone. You can find out what SALT team you're on, and then there is a, a copy of your particular team that you can pick up, and those new teams will take effect on July the 1st. In our worship bulletin this morning, it lists who's going to be involved in uh, leading us in worship. We encourage you to check that. There's also announcements in that. As we begin uh, our worship today, would you bow with me in prayer? Our loving Heavenly Father, we are so thankful that you are our Father. We know that your attributes are perfect and we pray that you would help us to copy them into our own lives. We pray that you would accept our worship to thee today. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Good morning. <clears throat> and happy Father's Day again. All you daddies and fathers, first song this morning is Never Grow Old.
Father, we're so grateful on this beautiful Lord's Day. We're so thankful that we're here together. We're so thankful that you have given us this day, that you have given us the opportunity to live with thee in eternity. Father, while on this earth, we're so thankful that you have given us the responsibility to take care of each other, to take care of our children. May we do what is always right in thy eye. May we always make the right choices. May we always try to make those that come after us, their lives better. And may we never forget those before us that helped us move along the way. Father, may we do what is right 
in this service, and may we always do right in our lives. And in your son Jesus' name we pray, amen. Long before the lesson this morning, looking to thee. I'll be reading from Psalms 103, verses 11 through 14. Psalms 103, 11, 11 through 14. For as the heavens are high above the earth, so great is his mercy toward those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far has, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. As the Father pities his children, so the Lord pities those who fear him. For he knows our fame and remembers that we are dust. 
Good morning, everyone. I sure hope you had a nice week. Looking forward, as this is the beginning of this week, to many opportunities that lay in front of us. Some of our folks are away at camp, and that's going to be happening on and off through the summer, but that's a wonderful opportunity for them, and we look forward to them being back with us and, I guess, sharing with us the things they've learned or certainly us benefiting from the impact that those times have on them. We also have folks gone for Father's Day. Happy Father's Day. And speaking as a father, I will tell you that I don't know if there's anything that brings greater joy to your life than see your own children grow. And then as they grow into maturity to see them having children, if that is the blessing that comes. And just to be reminded of the precious nature of relationships and the closest relationships that we have, those blood relationships of family. But today's the first day of the week as well, and as much as it is designated oftentimes third Sunday in June for fathers, when we assemble like this, we are here to honor our Heavenly Father. And especially as the Scriptures direct us toward Jesus, our Savior. So it's a day of celebration in a lot of ways. It's a day of family and unity and togetherness. But as a church family, we take that to another level on the first day of the week. However... An occasion like this, I think, gives us an opportunity to bring several things together. So today, I'm going to share with you from this text what the Bible reveals about a father's love. But before we start that, let's pray that God will bless us in, in this endeavor, this period of worship, that he'll help me to share with you the things that I've learned from the Word and that as we review those, they can become yours and that perhaps that will become a pattern in your life. Let's pray together. Father, thank you so much for this first day of the week that we can assemble here and to participate in this time of worship. We pray that all that we do combined with everybody else in here will bring glory and honor to you, that our worship will be acceptable to you, that we will offer it in spirit and in truth. Father, we thank you for all these avenues that give us the experience of approaching you and communing with you and with one another. And now is a special time for us to reflect on the things that you have spoken to us Help us, Lord, to listen intently and to learn from the things that you've shared in your word. Help us to appreciate the expression of your mercy, your forgiveness, and your compassion on us. And in turn, Father, as we embody that, help us to express those very same things to others. Today, with a special emphasis on those of us who are fathers to express those things to our children in particular. I pray, Lord, that you'll help me to communicate that in a simple and understandable way 
And I pray that you'll be with those who hear it today, that they can be able to focus carefully on what you have said and to be able to apply it, especially to our fathers today. Thank you for all that you can and will accomplish through our meditation upon your word today. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, I'm wondering here at the outset, especially for fathers. Now, if, if I were to be able to express some way how it is that you could be a perfect father, I'm wondering if you would be committed today to being that, a perfect father. At least in the sense of a complete father. Not that, not that you don't make mistakes, but that you would be willing on the basis of what we find in the scripture, if, if that will tell us how to be a perfect, how to be a complete father, you would do it. Sometimes we'll jot down notes. We'll keep a record of what we've heard. But too often we make the notes... We can reference back to it, but maybe we don't implement what it is that we know we ought to be doing. I'll just be frank with you. I told you I have experience of experience as a, a father and now got experience as a, a grandfather. And in both of those roles, I mean, there's plenty of evidence to suggest that I am an imperfect father. I would love to be perfect. I would love to do everything right. I I would love for my children to say, you know, the thing about dad, he was perfect in that way. (laughs) But just honestly, a lot of things I think back on that I would change, do differently. I acknowledge, and if you can, maybe you don't need to, but if you can acknowledge that you're not perfect, I guess we would just say we would lean on the general thought that since we're human, that's just our lot in life. We make mistakes, so we're imperfect. But the thing about it is that God seeks to connect with us. And in connecting with us, since He's perfect and He's holy and pure and what He does is always right, then in His attempt to connect with us, His hope and aspiration with us is that while we are imperfect, that we would be striving, attempting to implement the things about Him that are easily brought into our own lives. So in the case of a father, although I am an imperfect father, God is a perfect father. And so at the very least, I ought to be able to look at God as my father and certainly come away with some ideas as to how I could be better at what I am doing. Now, among many other things, that we could say about God. From the text that we have read together from Psalm 103, 
we find out that God is he's merciful, He is forgiving, and He is very compassionate. Now, when I look at those words, can't say what your thought is, but when I look at those words, I see some things that probably are not beyond my capability. I know that within myself, I can show mercy. I can be forgiving. And I can be compassionate. What we want to do with that is mingle it in terms of the expression of a father's love. Not just that I will be those things, but in loving my children, I will express those things as an extension of the love that I have. So, for instance, uh, uh, Father's love is seen in His mercy. Our text says that as the heavens are high above the earth, so great is His mercy toward those who fear Him. In my relationship with the Lord, if, if I fear Him, if I recognize His place ahead of me, if I have that awesome respect for God, then I know that His mercy is going to shine upon me. If I, if, I, if I honestly respect His position before me, then just like the heavens are just so far above the earth that I can't even hardly contemplate it in terms of technically miles and miles above me, just as much as I can see it, but it is far away removed from my grasp, so too is the preciousness of the mercy of God as it's manifested in His love toward me. I would think that, that if I could just grasp a little bit of that expression of the love of God seen in His mercy, then maybe as a father, I'd be a little bit more perfect, or at least I'd be approaching perfection or completeness in my role. You know, the mercy of God is sometimes expressed and we don't even realize it. Somehow we don't sense that it's there. I guess a good example of it, and there are certainly many, but this is one maybe you haven't thought about, has to do with a man by the name of Abimelech. Now, Abimelech, he's mentioned here in Genesis chapter 20 and verse 6. Abimelech was one of those kings who had desire for Abraham's wife, Sarah, so much so that he wanted to take her as his wife. Abraham had lied about her, had said, she's not my wife, for fear of his own life and some kind of action on the part of those who desired her. So he thought he was pretty clever in keeping that secret. Well, God was not pleased, of course, with that arrangement and had already made his mind up that if Abimelech took her for wife, he was going to wipe out that, not just Abimelech, but, but the whole scene. But here's the thing. Here's the thing that I wanted to point out to you. Is that in all of that, God's mercy is actually seen not so much in Abraham or Sarah, but in the case of Abimelech. Abimelech has a lot to lose here, right? The very least of which is his own life. 
But God made it such that even in his ignorance of the situation, he didn't allow Abimelech to touch her. He didn't allow Abimelech to take her as his wife. God, in effect, protected him. Now, did God always act in that way toward the heathen nations? Did God always put up a wall of protection? The answer is no, but what I just want to suggest to you is that here is somebody who really didn't even know God, but God demonstrated in His love over the generations of Abraham and Sarah, even those who are involved involved in the story as it unfolds. God's mercy is so abundant and, and so present that even a man like Abimelech benefits from it, unbeknownst to himself at the time. Sometimes even God's mercy is demonstrated in our own disobedience. It seems strange, I guess, that we could tap the mercy and the grace of God in moments when we seem like we're opposed to God or we're choosing not to obey God. But even David, in Psalm 6 and verse 2, said, Lord, have mercy on me. For I am, I'm wrong, I'm in sin, I've made a mistake. I appreciate David recognizing that even in the midst of his own foolish choices, in the wrong that he had perpetrated, that he depended upon or he relied upon God's love as manifested, at least in this moment, in God's mercy. Or of Jeremiah. You know, Jeremiah in Jeremiah chapter 10, verse 23, he talks about how it's important to recognize that we don't guide our own steps. You know, it's not a man who walks to direct his own steps. But in the very next verse, he pleads with God. You know, God, I, I want your justice. Maybe I've done wrong and I deserve for you to judge me. But he says, when you judge me, please. Please don't be angry when you do it. You know, be gentle, in effect, with me. I need, I need your mercy. I need your kindness. I need, I need your love. Zechariah expressed it in a little bit different terms, but the same idea comes across. Zechariah chapter 3, verses 3 and 4 He says what God does is He'll take these garments that are dirty of mine, these that are stained, He will remove them, He will give me clean garments, He he will put rich garments upon me. God will, in the moment, even in my mistakes, even as I'm faltering, demonstrate through His love a component of mercy and care that's Well, it's in many cases hard to imagine. In fact, in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21, maybe the greatest expression of that that we've ever heard is that he, in speaking of God the Father, he made him, the Christ, who knew no sin, to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. It's the same idea of being the sinful person, but also in that very same moment, in the dirtiness, in the 
compacted nature of our sin, when we are going astray, God is taking action on our behalf in the hope that in showing that mercy and extending our opportunity that one day, one day we'll respond and do what's right. So there's Satan who seeks to stain us, to make us dirty, to separate us from God. But in that same moment, in that same experience, God is working through Christ to cleanse us and to make us whole. The Apostle Paul is a great example of that because he went from a persecutor of Christians as Saul of Tarsus to that of the preacher of the gospel to the whole world. In 1 Timothy chapter 1, beginning at verse 12, he says, I thank Christ Jesus our Lord who has enabled me, who counted me faithful and put me into the ministry, although I was formerly a blasphemer, a persecutor, and an insolent man. But I obtained mercy because in me first Christ Jesus might be shown it's long-suffering to those who are going to believe in Him for everlasting life. Paul said, you can look at my life and the experiences that I've been through. I've been a terrible, complete sinner. But it is on the basis of the mercy of God that I am who I am today. And it's the grace of God that's made possible that even today the persecutor of Christians could now be the evangelist the spreading of the gospel to the whole world. If you're a father, I wonder if you could tap into the love of God as expressed in His mercy. Not just in those times when the children are obedient and listing and lining up and doing as you desire, but what about in those moments when they're not? In those moments even of rebellion, is there such mercy in your heart that's driven by a love for their good that you can see past the moment of mistakes or disappointment to a time when, when things are going to be so much better? Can you, like God our Father, express your love through that kind of through that level of mercy. A father's love is also seen in, well, we're just going to call it forgiveness. Now, in our text, he says that as far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. Well, I just want to stop and just reflect on that idea for a moment. Are you grateful that the Lord can separate you from your transgressions as far as the east is from the west? The idea isn't that he's just, you know, he's forgiven you, but I'm going to kind of keep that in my pocket in the event that things change, and I'm just going to drag that right back out. You know, I'm going to, I'm going to multiply the punishment if you ever fail me. You know, the, the idea is that God's love is so great that in our relationship with Him that He just separates us from our transgressions. The, the expression of the idea of east to west, the idea there's no limit 
to the ability of God to put it past him, to trust us again, to be in fellowship with us. I just, I just love God's attitude toward us. And so did many of the scriptural greats, you know, like David as he is overwhelmed with his own sin. In Psalm 51, verses 3 and 4, he says, I acknowledge my transgression and my sin is ever before me. Against you and you only have I sinned and done this evil in your sight. You know, yeah, I'm, I'm wrong. I've, I've done this and I've hurt a lot of people and I can see it in the effect of the lives of the people that I deal with every single day. I know by prophecy that not only is this moment wrong, but as a result of my sin, generation upon generation of people are going to be affected even within my own family. I know I'm going to be punished. I know I have the effect of the consequences of my sin. However, right here in this moment, It is just so apparent to me that as much as all those things will be true, just right now, the thing that upsets me the most is what I have done to a God who loves me so much and who is willing even now to forgive me. It's tempting. And I don't know if that's the right word. But it's tempting for us sometimes to think, I guess, and wrongly so, that whatever sin it is that we have committed, whatever, whatever affront, whatever wrong in our family relationship, maybe even with our own children, it's, it's easy, it's tempting, I think, by Satan to think that if I've done this thing, and I'm out of sorts with God, that I'll always be out of sorts with God. And that there is no hope for me. Now David recognized his sin against God. It's ever before me, and it's, it's a heavy weight upon me, and I know I've done it to you as much as I've affected others, but God is the one that I've truly affected. It's easy for us, it's tempting for us to say, I've done so much wrong in my life, I can never be forgiven. It's over for me. I just, you know, give up. And maybe even give in to a continuing in sin. It's like, I have no hope, so what do I have to lose? Listen, that is Satan's greatest lie. Just to tell us that there's no hope. Isaiah chapter 1 verse 18 says, Come, let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they be red like crimson, they shall be as wool. I get the idea that those who found the woman caught in adultery in John chapter 8 thought just that way. Here's a woman caught in adultery. She's an adulteress, no telling how many times she's been involved in this particular kind of sin. We've got her dead to rights and it's time to end the scenario of abuse toward God. And hey, why don't we just use Jesus in this and make him look like a bad guy too? So they bring in this woman caught in adultery, dead to rights. She needs to be stoned according to the law. Jesus, what do you think about it? You know, after all of the... I kind of take it like a, a psychological debate. 
Jesus starts writing on the ground and all of the accusers go away. Jesus asks where her accusers are. They're gone. And here's what he says in verses 11 and 12. Verse 11, we typically stop there, but verse 12 is very important, I think. So in verse 11, he tells her to go and sin no more. So many people have abused that text to suggest that she could just keep going on like she was going. You know, Jesus is so loving, He wouldn't cast aspersions against her. He didn't judge her in that moment. Hey, peace. But what Jesus did say is so instructive. You know what? I'm not going to pass judgment on you in this moment, but here's something that is good for you and for everybody else that would read this later. When you go... And whenever that is, you know, maybe it's in the recognition of your sin, like David had recognized his sin. Or maybe it's after committing that sin for a while, and now finally you're just caught dead to rights, and you're finally ready to move on from it. Whatever the scenario, here's what Jesus says next. Go and sin no more. And then verse... 12, Jesus says, I am the light of the world. He who follows me shall not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. What's he saying? He says in verse 12, same thing he said in verse 11. Go and sin no more. How am I going? I'm not going in the darkness of my sin anymore. I'm not going, being chastised because of my sin, because I'm ever guilty. I'm going removed from my sin, my transgression, as far as the east is from the west. However, with a mindset that says, I'm not going back there. That I'm going to walk in the light from here on out. I'm going to walk, I'm going to walk with Jesus. So, go and don't sin anymore. You say, well, Ken, even when I go with the attitude not to sin anymore, sin's still active, sin's still before me. I still have this weakness. 1 Corinthians 10 verse 13 says that no temptation has overtaken you except such as is common man, but God is faithful. Who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you're able, but with each temptation will provide the way of escape that you may be able to bear it. Walk in the light from here on out. Go and do not sin. Walking with Jesus is going to translate not, not just not just with my own forgiveness, but here's what we're aspiring to today. Having experienced forgiveness, that's quantified by saying that it is as far as the east is removed from the west. Being forgiven to that extreme ought to result in our being a forgiving person. To the extent that we would extend that same that same level or comprehension of forgiveness, just as, as God, through Jesus, is extending to us. So Ephesians chapter 4, verse 37, Let all bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice, and be kind to one another, 
tenderhearted, forgiving one another, just as God and Christ forgave you. Forgive, verses 31, 32. Just like Christ did. Again, just like we said from the beginning, our, our, our perfect example is God. In this case, manifested in Jesus. In our relationship, that love demonstrates an incredible level of forgiveness. Now, Father, you know, I've, I've known of cases where fathers had grievances with their children to the extent they didn't talk for years. That's not how God operates. When I want God's forgiveness, and I think the, of the magnitude of God's response toward the sin and what peril I'm in, when I recognize the sin and I come to grip with it, I, I'm, I'm feeling very much like David. You know, it's, it's against you that I've sinned and done this evil in your sight. I want that rectified. I want to be made clean. And so when we pray, right, we pray to God, we're in expectation that in that moment, God is forgiving this contrite heart of ours. Okay, peace, great. But how do we turn that over? You know, if that same level of forgiveness is in us, especially in these close relationships, isn't it, isn't it the fullest expression of our love to be very, to be very open with our forgiveness? To be quick to forgive, just as God in Christ has forgiven us. And then I'm thinking that as regards a father's love, that it's also seen in terms of, and I'm just going to use the word of compassion. Now, our text says that as a father pities his children, so the Lord pities those who fear him. I love that. The pity of God isn't that he's like, oh, those, those poor humans, but it, it's, it's his compassion over us. Jesus' expression of compassion is suffering right along with us. great example of that is John 11, verse 35, right? Jesus knowing he's going to raise Lazarus from the dead. In a moment, there's going to be joy and celebration. But right now, just right now, as he comes into contact with those who are grieving over the death of Lazarus, the Scripture says that Jesus wept. Not what will be or what was anticipated, but just right now. I'm with you. I feel what you feel. God pities us in the sense of His, His compassions over us. Again, thinking, I guess, of Jeremiah, the, the weeping prophet, prophet in, in his book Lamentations, Lamentation chapter 3, beginning at verse 22, it says that the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They're new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. The Lord is, says my soul, and I will find comfort in him. The mercies of God knew every single day. You ever see the sun rise? We expect it to do that, right? Every single day that we've been alive, every single day, that sun has come up. A new day's been experienced. 
And if things continue as they have from the very beginning, we'll expect the same to happen tomorrow. Just as much as we count on the sun rising every single day, we count on the mercy expressed of God, His compassion on His children, compassions that do not fail, His desire to suffer the thing right along with us. In 1992, during the Summer Olympics in Barcelona, Spain, there was a British runner by the name of Derek Redman. Derek was running in the 400 meters. And he was favored... I'm not going to say he was favored to win, but certainly to place with a medal. He had gone through his first heat and had won it. Had qualified for the semifinal. He lined up with everybody else and with all of a lifetime of training behind him. He responded to the gun and he took off. But as is sometimes the case... And the overexertion of oneself toward a goal, and what a goal that was to win gold in the Olympics, he actually tore his hamstring. Now typically when a professional runner like that, a thoroughbred human, tears hamstring, they'll, they'll quit the race immediately for fear of doing additional damage. But Derek had trained, as I said, all his life. This was his moment. And he wasn't about to stop. So Derek continued to hobble along the track looking to finish the race. But if you've ever torn a muscle like that while running, you know that it's an excruciating thing to go through. And just about ready to give up, There was a commotion in the stands. Security responded because there was a man headed toward the track. He brushed off all the security, hit the track, and ran, Jim did, to his son Derek. He helped support Derek as he finished the race. Of course, course he didn't win. Of course, he didn't get a medal. Didn't qualify to run the final race. But he finished his heat. That son that has spent all that lifetime in preparation for this moment had always been supported by a father in those stands. And in that moment, when all seemed lost, the father ran in compassion to the side of his son. I can't help but think that that's very much like God's compassion toward us. I'm sure it brings God great pleasure to watch us as we're His children going through life's difficulties and and having triumph. You know, we we study a lifetime of Scripture preparing ourselves for those moments. and, And more often than not, we are successful in overcoming the temptations that arise. But what about those moments when the temptation is well nigh to destroying us? It is a God of compassion who makes Himself available to help carry us through the most 
difficult of our circumstances. It is like a father who pities his children. That same way God pities those who fear him. Here's the thing about God. According to our text, it says that He knows our frame. He remembers that we are dust. You're not perfect, and neither am I. God knows that we're not perfect, yet He loves us anyway. You're a father. You have children. Could you say that some of the expression of the love that you have is manifested in mercy and forgiveness and compassion? Maybe there are many other ways that you express that love, but are these some of those? Because these are the kinds of things that God says, I I relate to. In my love for you, I, I demonstrate that love through a a limitless capacity to show this mercy and forgiveness and compassion for you. Our children aren't perfect, but let's not expect them to be. Let's be the kind of parent that God is toward us. And let's express our love in the fullest ways that we can through our mercy and forgiveness and compassion. Today, maybe you're his child. He's been there every step of the way for you, but you have failed him. Today gives you an opportunity to respond, confessing the wrong that's done in repentance and having us pray with you, encourage you to be a support to you as God would have us to as you go forward. Maybe you're not a child of God today. Today gives you the opportunity to become part of His family. If you'll obey the gospel, the Lord will add you to the church. If you believe Jesus Christ is the Son of God, you're ready to repent of your sins, confess your faith today, be buried in water and have your sins washed away. Rise up in that newness of life. If there's anybody who needs to respond for any reason, now's your opportunity. Why don't you come if you need to while we stand together and sing. I've wandered far away Oh
unto thee, O Lord. Do I lift up my
If anyone needs an emblem for the Lord's Supper, please raise your hand and the ushers will bring you one. As we prepare hearts and minds for the Lord's Supper, I'll be reading from Romans chapter 5, beginning in verse 5 says, Now hope does not disappoint because the love of our God has been poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit who was given to us. For when we were still without strength in due time, Christ died for the ungodly. For scarcely for a righteous man will one die, yet perhaps for a good man someone would even dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love toward us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Much more than having now been justified by his blood, we shall be saved from wrath through him. You and I have a hope this morning of eternal life, but we only have it because of that death. And as we go into this part of our worship, please remember that that death didn't have to happen. At any point, Jesus could have called down 10,000 angels and, and stopped it. God the Father had to watch the abuse his son took as they beat him, as they shoved the thorns down into his head. It's that overwhelming love for you and me, just blessed dirt, as Ken used last week, that he has for us. So this morning as we take the Lord's Supper, let's focus our hearts and minds on that moment with thankful hearts. Bow with me. Dear God, we thank you so much this morning and we... Thank you now for this bread, which represents your body, which represents Christ's body, who died for us on the cross, that cruel cross. We pray now that we partake of this bread in a manner that's pleasing to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Bow with me. Dear God, right now we thank you for this cup, which represents Christ's blood that was shed for each one of us. We pray, God, that we partake of this cup in a manner that's pleasing unto you. In Jesus' name, amen. Separate and apart from the Lord's Supper, we're commanded to give, and we now have that opportunity. There are several ways in which we can do that, but if you will bow with me, please. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for all the many, many material blessings you've given each one of us. God, we know at this time in this country that we enjoy a standard of living that's never before been seen on the planet. People only two generations ago could never have dreamed of a world in which we get to live. And God, we want you to know that we're thankful for it. We're so thankful for all the many, many blessings you've given us. And God, at this time, we're thankful that we're allowed to give you what is yours. 
And we pray that we do that in abundance. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen. Good morning. If you're visiting with us this morning, we are glad to have you. We invite you to come back to any opportunity you have. I know we have several that are at camps this week, several families that are on vacations, and we're hoping for their safe return. Uh, just make you mindful of the bulletin this morning. There is one change in that bulletin if you want to write this down. Uh, Miss Bernice Voles, our oldest member, and Emily Kendrick's grandmother will celebrate her 100th birthday on June 22nd. That address is not correct, according to Dale on there. Dale gave me an updated address. It's uh, Mississippi Care Center, 3701 Joanne Drive, Corinth. And that's 38834. I'll leave that address up here. If, if you didn't get that, you can come by after services are over with. Uh, also, just to up, update those announcements that are on there, just to remind everyone, FHU Associates annual, uh, annual salad luncheon is scheduled for this coming Friday, June the 24th from 11 to 1 uh, out in the annex. Tickets are $10 each and are available from any associate that's dine-in or carry-out. Uh, and also to let everyone know, Brother Ken will be speaking at Marietta VBS next Monday evening, the 27th at 6 p.m., uh, the bus will leave from the annex around 525. And also Mike Eaton will be speaking at the gospel meeting at Pleasant Grove next week at 7 p.m. Uh, we will take a bus on Tuesday evening, the 28th, and that's going to leave around 615. We had 282 in worship service this morning. I have just a couple of more uh, announcements that were given to me. Stephen Hodgins' aunt, Frances McNatt, passed away. The funeral is today at 11 o'clock at Iuka, and they do ask for the prayers for that family. Also, the family of Benji Yates is requesting prayers for him this morning. He is in critical care in Tupelo Hospital. Benji is the brother of Teresa Cole and the nephew of Buster and Sandra Green and Francille Davis, so please keep that family in your prayers. That's all the announcements I have. If you'll bow with me, I'll dismiss us in prayer. Heavenly Father, once again, we thank you for the opportunity we've had to come and worship you with song and praise. Father, we're thankful for the wonderful members here at the Boonville Church, part of a Christian family. Father, we're so thankful for the two that's come forward this morning. We ask you to continue to guide them in a direction, Father, and just be with us and help us to encourage them and lift them up. Father, we thank you for the elders here at our church, and we ask to continue to watch over them and guide them that they may lead us in a direction that would be pleasing unto thee. Father, we thank you so much for your son, whom died a cruel death on the cross, all for us, all for the forgiveness of our sins, that we might have an opportunity of home in heaven with thee one day. Father, we ask you to go with us throughout this upcoming week and help us all to live and work and play in a manner that would be pleasing unto thee. Father, please forgive us for we have failed thee. In your son Jesus' precious name I pray, amen. <laughs> 